just encourage you to take out your Bible as we think about that video and uh, the significance of that to think about what Joseph was thinking about as he pondered these scripture verses as we look at them today from his perspective. What would it be like in that society to find out that you're engaged and then your spouse-to-be has a child within her womb? And what would you do? We think about the dilemma that Joseph was, was in, and we talk about today the courage of Joseph. The courage of Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, if you take your Bible and turn over there, very familiar story. As we look at pieces of the nativity story, and we look at videos from that movie of 2006. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. You know, when Pope Julius I declared December 25th to be the day we celebrate uh, in 325, the day we celebrate the birth of Christ, just think about what it was back then and what it has become today. When a professor named Charles Fullen uh, took a tree and put it in his house and put candles on it for the first tree in America that was lit by light in 1832. Think about how that was and where our decorations, how glamorous they are and how big a deal we make about decorating for Christmas is today. Even before these two events that shaped our Christmas season, think about that star, that beautiful star that those wise men must have seen as they were traveling and seeking after the King of the Jews, letting the world know that Jesus the King was born. Well, we're in the midst of Advent. We're in week two, and Advent in the Latin means toward the coming. It means something's about to happen. Expectation would be a great synonym here. That's still pretty much what the word Advent is defined as today. And as we look at and remember the first Advent, we should be living in expectation for the second Advent of Jesus when he comes to return. Last week, Austin shared about Jesus as the coming king. And in that story, Mary's the one who's been sovereignly picked by God to be the, very, the mother of the very son of God, the Messiah. She is a humble servant of God. And as she hears the story unfold that the Holy Spirit is going to plant a seed in her womb, she is faithful to be obedient and do exactly what the angel said. God places this miraculous seed in her, what we call the Immaculate Conception, and may you and I have a great and steadfast faith, just like Mary had at the time when this, these events all occurred and when she met with that angel. Today, we're going to look at a little bit 
of how we know about the life of Joseph. We don't know much. We know Joseph was, or Jesus, Joseph was Jesus' earthly father, the husband of Mary, and the father of Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. As we read the Christmas story, we just see Joseph as being in the background. If you have a manger scene at home like I do under our Christmas tree, he's kind of back behind the stable, right? He doesn't have any lines that we can see in the Bible. He disappears in Jesus' teenage years. But Joseph is and was a very important character in the Christmas story. When you come to the second chapter of Luke, even then, all the Jews in Palestine went to a place of their ancestry because they were people of tribes and families at that time. And they were facing a census and a taxation that was imposed on them by the Roman Empire. So they were very much a part of this. And it was very necessary and very essential for them to travel back to their hometown. Now we should note, however, that today all that's changed. You realize there's no Jew alive today that can really trace back their lineage? Because when Titus Vespian came in 70 AD and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, he destroyed all their records. This is interesting because if someone were to come along today and say they were the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David, they would have no way to prove that. And so therefore, the last verifiable claimant to the Messiahship of Israel, to the kingship promised through David, is Jesus Christ. No other would-be Messiah could ever verify a right to the throne. Christ is the last one that could claim that. In Matthew chapter 1, we just referred to that, you know there's a lineage there, the ancestry the royal line here is the royal line that comes through to Christ. It's interesting that Matthew gives us his lineage through his father, Joseph. Luke gives us the lineage through his mother, Mary. And you'll be interested to know that Mary also was descended from David. She came through David's son, Nathan. Now, Nathan never reigned as a king. And we're not talking about Nathan the prophet, a different Nathan. But Mary is a descendant of David through his son, Nathan. It's then through Mary that Jesus is the real son of David, for Mary was his mother. In fact, he was born of a virgin, as we know, and Joseph had no part in his physical birth. Joseph planted no seed in Mary's body. It was planted by the spirit of the living God. And Mary alone was the source of his human birth. Therefore, it's essential that she also be out of the line of David, or he would have borne no royal blood. On the other hand, Joseph line gives him the legal right to the throne. Even though he wasn't his official father, but because in that society he would be adopted in, he would be the legal father. And through his uh, legal status, Jesus would be the king. It's interesting, I never thought of that till this till this week. It's been said that if there had been a king, a rightful king in Israel, in Palestine, at the time of Joseph, Joseph would have been the king. He was the legal heir. So that Matthew's genealogy comes down through Joseph because there's the legal right to the throne. So while it appears on the surface that Joseph is a quiet bystander in the text of the Christmas story, there's much more going on because of the character that Joseph evidenced and how he reacted to circumstances that he didn't understand but that he accepted. We're going to see today the courage that made it possible for Jesus to be born and to be protected early in his life because Joseph was his earthly father. Joseph provided food. He provided clothing. He provided shelter to the Son of God. 
And to a certain age, we don't know what that was, he taught him about life and probably carpentry skills. Joseph had the courage to live a morally upright life in an immoral world. We're also going to see that he had the courage to marry a pregnant girl who was not carrying his own child. And thirdly, we're going to look at how he had the courage to protect his wife and son in their flight to Egypt, and then again upon their return to Nazareth. Well, the Holy Spirit included this story of Joseph to encourage each of us to live courageously, even if it means living dangerously in God's will. Let's look briefly at just how we know that Joseph was a man of moral courage. The first thing on your outline, Joseph was a man of moral courage. Joseph was an undistinguished man. He was just an ordinary man. He had a trade, carpentry. He worked in Nazareth. There was nothing extraordinary about him. But in the midst of this miraculous virgin birth and the visitation of the angels, we see this man, Joseph, that his life becomes extraordinary. And it's interesting that God usually takes ordinary people and does the extraordinary in their lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He goes on to say in that chapter that sometimes the wisdom of the spiritual things look like foolishness to those who are rejecting the cross. God used people in the Bible they would never would have thought would have been used. We think of Moses, who murdered an Egyptian, right? And he's banished to the backside of the desert for 40 years. And God comes to him in a burning bush and says, you're going to be the deliverer. You're going to be the one who will deliver Israel from slavery and take them out of Egypt. We think of David. David, a man after God's own heart. That's a phrase that was used even to the end of his life. His family was a mess to the end of their life. David was an adulterer. He conspired to murder Uriah the Hittite, which is Bathsheba's husband. And yet, God used David. I think of Amos, little small-known prophet, who was a fig picker, a farmer. We think of Matthew. He was a tax collector. He would have been considered a turncoat by the Jewish people because he worked for the Roman government to extract taxes from the Jewish people. Think about Jesus going to Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews disliked each other. In John 4, he goes to a Samaritan woman, and it's the Samaritan woman that goes into town and tells people that she found the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Bob Goff, who's a, who was, I think he still works for Disney World, Disneyland, big executive there. He says this, I do all my best thinking on Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland. There's a picnic table at the end of a little pier right across from the pirate ship. I suppose most people think this place is just a prop because there are a couple of wooden kegs marked gunpowder and some pirate paraphernalia hung over the railings. But it's not just a prop to me, it's my office. 
There are no admission requirements at Tom Sawyer Island. It doesn't matter how tall or short you are or old or young. You can do countless things there. Most of them involve running and jumping and using your creativity and imagination. It's a place where you can go and just do stuff in that way. It's a place that mirrors life well, at least the opportunity to do much with our lives. He goes on to say, on Tom Sawyer Island, I reflect on God, who didn't choose someone else to express his creative presence to the world, who didn't tap the rock star or the popular kid to get things done. He chose you and me. We are the means, the method, the object, and the delivery vehicles. God can use anyone for sure. If you can shred or play on a Fender guitar or one best personality, you're not disqualified. It just doesn't make you more qualified, he said. You see, God usually chooses ordinary people like us to get things done. And so God uses each and every one of us, just like he did Joseph in this amazing story. Joseph must have been the kind of man that God could trust to be strong in the midst of crisis. And the reason Joseph had great courage was his deep trust in his Savior, in his God. So we see, not only was he an undistinguished man, but second of all, Joseph lived an upright life. He lived an upright life. He lived a righteous life. Look at verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph was known in the community as a righteous man. He was so rightly related and close to God in his relationship that he had godlike character qualities in his life. He served God out of love and not duty. He said no to his sinful nature and yes to obedience to whatever God had for his life. He lived in a morally corrupt culture at the time. The religious leaders were corrupt there in Israel. They didn't like people who lived a righteous life, who were innocent and pure of heart because it showed them up. It revealed the hypocrisy that was in their lives. People have a hard time around righteous people. It brings conviction to their hearts. It makes them uncomfortable. Even today, morality is laughed at. You think of the movie, um, the movie that was released, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, how it made fun of a man who, you know, lived all those years without being involved sexually. We think of the long line of business leaders and how they got involved in inside trading and and fraud in their companies to better themselves financially and how they end up in prison. You know, the code of business ethics is often a buzzword rather than a corporate code. Well, the application here is this, that character is something that takes time to build and a moment to lose. Character is something that takes a lifetime, actually, to build, but you can lose it in just one moment if you make the wrong decision if you choose the wrong path, if you desire to give in to the flesh, that character can be wiped out in an instant. And Joseph was an unusual man, the kind of man that every child would wish their father would be, who knows the right way to live and follows the right no matter what the cost. Second thing we see here is that Joseph was a man of manly courage, of manly courage. We see that Joseph chose to care for Mary with love when he found out that she was with child. I can imagine the consternation 
I can imagine the, the frustration in his soul as he tried to sort this out and figure out what to do from God's perspective, from a human perspective. What were the people around me going to say? How do I explain this to my parents? And on and on his thought process must have gone. But Joseph resisted getting angry when he found out this news. The only way to explain this pregnancy, obviously in his mind, was that she was unfaithful. But God revealed to him in a dream, as we saw in the video, what it was all about. That he was going to be part of an amazing story if he would be strong and stay courageous and follow by faith. So he decided to follow through on his commitment, even though it went against conventional wisdom. And it still even would go against conventional wisdom in some ways today. The emotions of shock and deep sorrow and heartache and anger shot through Joseph's emotions. He probably felt like finding out who the person was that uh, caused Mary to be pregnant and cause harm to that person or at least confront them. In the midst of this, his love for Mary prevailed. He allowed that love to overlook what he thought was a deep moral sin. So Joseph walked in the spirit and he let the spirit prevail instead of his raw human emotions. Galatians 5 talks about that. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Joseph faced down his emotions. He didn't give in to the anger or the frustration. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life when they, I have to face down my emotions. I have to call them what they are. I have to decide if I'm going to give in to that fleshly response or am I going to do what the Spirit says? And we can learn that from this situation with Joseph. Joseph resisted cultural pressure. That was another thing. As Mary's pregnancy became obvious to the people in their small town, you know how small towns are. Everybody knows everybody's business. Gossip goes on all the time. Joseph knew that he would be publicly embarrassed. And to save face, Joseph would have been justified in publicly divorcing Mary. In fact, the society he lived in expected him to express outrage and to punish Mary, even possibly allow them to stone her to death. But because of his strength of character, he decided to divorce her privately and protect her from public disgrace. But of course, after the angel came and explained to him that Mary was pregnant because of a miracle, Joseph decided to marry her. What would you and I do in that situation? Would we display the commitment and the courage that Joseph displayed in the midst of cultural pressure? So I think about it, I look around the landscape of our uh, Christian world, and I watch left and right as people cave in and uh, follow false teachings or follow the way of their passions. And uh, they give in and they compromise. Last night, Mike Fenley sent us an article about how the Methodist denomination is going to split apart, one very liberal and one committed to the word of God. We see these things all the time, and this pressure is building and building and building. May we be like Joseph and stay committed and be courageous and to stand up even if what we believe is rejected. We think about Joseph. Joseph stayed true to his commitment to make Mary his wife. He stayed true to it, Matthew 1, 20 through 25. 
But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph found out from the angel that Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by God himself. It was a little easier with that knowledge and the Holy Spirit directing him to accept Mary and to take the responsibility of getting married and having a family and raising Jesus as if he were his own. Joseph overlooked the stigma of society and he and Mary obeyed God and they did not look back. What are you able to say no to in your lives as you obey God. The passions of sexuality are all around us with pornography and so many things, and it's so easy to give in in that area. Food that calls our name that we shouldn't eat, an overindulgence to alcohol. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's getting caught up in the media and technology. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. Every one of us are tempted in different ways. But what are we able to say no to? Well, Joseph waited until after Jesus' birth to have intimate relationships with his wife. What a noble thing. Jesus, or Joseph's faith would be tested again, and we think about it, after they would leave the manger and dedicate Jesus and get him circumcised in the temple. It says in Matthew 2 that they went to probably a house of some kind, and that's when the wise men came. We don't know if it was... Um, right after his birth that they went to the house, or up to two years of age, they were there. But we do know that the king, King Herod, wanted to slay all the male children two years of age and younger. And because of that, Jesus and Mary and Joseph would have to flee to Egypt for protection from Herod. Herod was out to kill the king of the Jews. And then we see lastly under this point that Joseph chose to keep his young family safe. He took the responsibility to protect his little family. In Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, now when they had departed, speaking of the wise men, and you remember the story, the wise men saw a star, they came, and they came to Jerusalem, they met with King Herod. King Herod said, when you find the boy, the king of the Jews, come let me know so I can come and worship him. Air quotes there, worship him, right? He wanted to kill him. But again, as the wise men came and they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh and bowed before the king of kings and the lord of lords, you remember the story. They were directed by the Holy Spirit to go a different way and not return back to Herod. And that brings us to verse 13 of chapter 2. Now when they, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Herod was so threatened by the talk of the 
king of Israel being born, he sent a decree to have all the male children, as we said, two years of age or younger, to be killed. And we read that passage, the weeping of Ramah, that was prophesied. The angel warned Joseph to flee to Egypt at night so that Herod would not pursue them. This meant months of dangerous travel over hostile terrain. He probably walked most of the way. They may have used the gifts from the wise men to provide for their needs while they were in Egypt. But once again, God entrusted Joseph to be courageous enough and strong enough to handle the task of protecting his family as they fled from, to Egypt from Herod and his presence. Well, the application here is that courage shows up when we least expect it and need it most. Courage shows up when we least expect it and need it most. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is what we do when we face fear. Fear is a human emotion. It's natural. But it's what we do when we're confronted with that. Are we courageous? Are we faithful to trust the big God even in the midst of difficult problems? Well, next time you see a nativity scene, take note of where Joseph stands. He stands in the back. He's in obscurity, but a courageous, rugged, hardworking man. We learned that Joseph was a courageous man because of his belief in God. He showed courage in his personal life by being morally and spiritually a strong man in a corrupt world. He demonstrated his courage when despite personal embarrassment in the face of social isolation, he believed God and married the pregnant girl who was not carrying his baby. And he revealed his sustaining courage in protecting the mother and child during the life-threatening years of Jesus' childhood. We need to learn from his courage to obey even when life does not make sense. Here's the key thought today. Courage is cultivated by learning that God is more powerful than any threat that may come our way. That our God is more powerful. That whatever storm comes our way, God is bigger than that storm. God is bigger than COVID-19. God is bigger than all the unrest in our country. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. And he will see us through. Joseph had no idea that his tranquil life was going to be thrown into upheaval. But because courage had been growing inside of him year after year and his commitment to the Lord, courage was there when he needed it. But how do we cultivate the growth of courage in our life? It's cultivated by learning that God is more powerful, as we said, and believing that and knowing God personally. And look at the answers to prayer in our life. David learned that about God from nature, from history, from the scriptures while he was out there tending his father's sheep. And God was preparing him with the lion and the bear and the things that would come along until as a teenage boy he faced Goliath. And he wasn't fazed by Goliath because he believed that God could do anything. He was courageous. Joseph had cultivated his relationship with God and so he was ready when the day of testing came. So families, they need courageous dads more than ever and courageous husbands. Children today need a strong dad who will stand against the ways of the world and live a life of blameless integrity in front of them. Children need to see how their fathers treat their mothers, how their dads are honest in business dealings and growing the family spiritually. Churches long for courageous men in leadership. We're a sheep looking to be led. We don't push people. We bring people along as servant leaders. 
We need spiritually mature men who aren't afraid to do what's right and stand up for it. We need men who are willing to be courageous and willing to take risks that are steps of faith when life warrants that. We need men to make decisions and not let the criticism hurt them. Gary McIntosh, in his book, One Size Doesn't Fit All, said, whenever you rise to the surface and blow, you get harpooned. Another saying is, the taller the tree, the more wind it will catch. The larger a man's roof is, the more snow it will collect. Think about that. Men, we need to take our rightful places in the leadership of our homes and our church and let our voices be heard. Candace Owen, who's a conservative commentator, recently said this, there's no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It's an outright attack. Bring back manly men. This is the courage that we need in the midst of our difficult circumstances. So may you and I display the courage of Joseph and the decisions, big and small, in our daily lives. And here's three questions to ponder this week in the midst of Advent. Are you weary in doing the right things when others don't care to do what is right? That wears us down. Sometimes we feel like we're the only person willing to tell the truth. You know, it takes more effort and work to be filled with integrity and tell the truth than it is to cheat or to lie. But we need to do it because that's what God wants us to do. Second of all, are you able to trust God confidently when obeying doesn't seem to make sense? And are you willing to be courageous and share your faith or your convictions from the Bible with those who may reject you for your beliefs? That's going to become a growing issue more and more in our society, even among Christians, of staying true to the word of God. Let's bow for prayer. I challenge you this week as you think about Joseph and his life. Are you as courageous as he is, as he was? Are you willing to paddle upstream against this current culture that's current is so fast going the opposite direction? It's a challenge. And we need to in our small and big ways to stand strong, to let our voices be heard. We may be the only voice of truth for some people in this dark world, for people who are looking for an alternative, who are looking for light. May we mirror the courage of Joseph. Father, we just ask that you help us as we think of this story. Help us this week to kind of put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, to think about all that must have been going through his head. But he chose to listen to that still small voice of your Holy Spirit and the dream that was given to him and to faithfully obey, even if relatives in his own family didn't agree or understand. Lord, help us. Fill us with that kind of courage so that people will see something different about us and wonder and want to ask about the faith that lives within us. We pray and ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.